Fight Podcast, hosted by Sergio Vicente. The Fight Podcast is brought to you by Sage Eats. Sage Eats is a Chicago-based healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring company. They deliver healthy, organic, custom meals directly to your home or office. For those of you not in Chicago, Sage Eats also offers online fitness mentoring where your personal fitness mentor will send you four weeks worth of workouts that are customized to your body and your goals. Your mentor is available seven days a week to answer questions and offer support. Sign up for Sage Eats at www.sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 20% off your first three months. Now here's your host of the Fight Podcast, Sergio Vicente. Yo, what up, what up, and welcome to another episode of the Fight Podcast. I'm your host, Serge Vicente, and we have a great show for you today. Today, I'm going to go ahead and break down this past weekend's UFC 230. That was at Madison Square Garden in New York City. We're going to go ahead and break down this weekend's winners and losers and so much more. Remember, the Fight Podcast is brought to you each and every week by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 20% off your first three months. Remember to follow the Fight Podcast on all social media platforms at the Fight Podcast and follow me at Serge Vicente. Support the show by checking me out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Subscribe, listen, rate, share. The Fight Podcast is currently on iTunes and SoundCloud. All right. Welcome once again to the Fight Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great weekend. It is a rainy and dreary and gray and very cold fall-like here in Chicago. Uh, but man, it's just how we like it here this time of year. So it's all good. Uh, <laughs> um I hope everyone had a chance to go ahead and change the clocks. I didn't even realize that the clocks going ahead and went backwards until probably five o'clock on Sunday. So <laughs> I'm walking around all day. It was like five o'clock. Then I realized it was only actually four. So, yo, I'm glad that that happened. Uh, my girlfriend actually ended up telling me about it. So kudos to her. Uh Great weekend, great fight card, and um, man, with that being said, UFC 230 was this past weekend at Madison Square Garden. I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the fight. The fight card was headlined after a whole lot of, what can I say, it was a whole lot of back and forth, a whole lot of speculation. We didn't know who was actually going to go ahead and actually compete in this card originally. For such a huge card at Madison Square Garden in New York City. They usually have it planned out way before time. So the fact that it was a month out. It was less than a month. 25 days out. We didn't have a main event to this huge card. And at the same time, we had fights falling off of it. Dustin Poirier got hurt. Luke Rockhold got hurt. Nate Diaz refused to fight. So fortunately, the UFC's heavyweight champ champ, Daniel Cormier, was able to go ahead and jump in the fight on short notice against the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Um, it was the buildup, I think, honestly, was more entertaining than the fight itself. 
what Daniel Cormier did, I think most people expected. The UFC did a great job of selling Derek, uh, Derek Lewis on this card. They made it feel like Derek Lewis could actually win, and he had more than a puncher's chance. It didn't unfortunately work out that way. What ended up happening was what a lot of us already thought would happen. Daniel Cormier, the more athletic, the faster man, the more technically sound athlete, beat Derek Lewis at every aspect of the game. He outstruck him, he outgrappled him, and he ended up submitting him via rear naked choke in the second round, which... If you go ahead and listen to episode 48, I think we called that. So, um, look, man, that's not like it was something genius or anything. That's what Daniel Cormier does. He's great at it. He's great at taking guys down, beating them up, making them tired, and submitting them. His wrestling is top-notch. People forget, man, this dude was an Olympian. So how did the fight end up breaking down? The guys start off, the crowd is going bananas at this point in time. It's crazy in there. The energy in the room is really, really high. Derek Lewis is intimidating. He's huge. He looks like he's excited. If you looked at the weigh-ins the day before, that was the first time all week that both of those guys didn't seem like they were being cordial. They actually seemed like they wanted to do something to one another. That was the first time and we saw that in the way and it seemed like it carried into the fight. One thing that Derek Lewis said during the weigh-ins that stuck out to me, and it was just the way he said it. They asked him, what's going to happen in this fight? He just looked back and said, I'm going to bang his ass up. Yo, from a big dude that's, what, 6'4 and 280 pounds? Yo, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, but at the same token, you turn around, DC was confident. And this is the first time we ever saw DC in his like real braggadocious bag. You know, he was able to go out there and talk about it. He was able to go out there and say, look, this dude isn't on my level. There are levels to this game and he's just not there. I've been fighting the best of the best since I started competing. He said, this kid's easy. He said, I'm the GOAT for a reason. I'm going to show you why. That's the first time we rarely see DC getting into that bag. He's rarely feeling himself like that. So the fact that he was that confident leading into it had a lot of people shook. You had commentators and people like Chael Sonnen saying, oh, I don't know. Last time I saw somebody from their team that was that braggadocious and nonchalant before a fight, he ended up getting knocked out by Michael Bisping. Now, no knocks on Luke Rockhold, but DC's not Luke Rockhold. So the fight starts off. DC presses him against the cage. The moment that, and this is something that actually really, I found to be odd. Derek Lewis knows what DC's trying to do. What he wants to do is what he does every fight. He wants to 
get in your face. He wants to push your cardio. He wants to get you against the cage. And if he gets you against the cage, he's going to go ahead and go for a single leg takedown. He's going to run the pike and he's going to go ahead and pull you down. He loves that single leg takedown. He doesn't go out there with the big Brock Lesnar style double leg blast. That's not what he does. So what did he do? He went out there easily took Derrick Lewis down, beat him up on the ground. In fact, he beat him up on the ground to the tune of total strikes landed in the fight. Daniel Cormier landed 42 out of 54 total strikes for 77%. Derrick Lewis, remember, this is somebody who was one of the most feared strikers in the world. But he only landed 5 out of 14 strikes. That is total domination by uh, by Daniel Cormier. Now, significant strikes. Daniel Cormier, 19 out of 25. Derek Lewis, 4 out of 13. Dude, this this is two totally different caliber athletes. You know what I'm saying? Takedown percentages. This was the story of the fight. And... Derek Lewis really gave little to no resistance in this at all. He didn't. He didn't pose a threat. Daniel Cormier in a round and a half, not even that much, in a round and a little bit, he ended up at getting four takedowns and just totally dominated him. Switching position, Daniel Cormier did a fantastic job of pretty much not directly trying to get in the mount. One thing that if you know anything about Derek Lewis, one grapplers are on top of him. He is so strong. When people try to pretty much move positions on him, he can explode out. He could bench press guys off and then he gets back to his feet or he starts landing huge punches again. Well, Daniel Cormier is again an Olympic caliber wrestler. He was 251 pounds and he parked that 251 pounds directly on uh, on uh, Derek Lewis's chest. He stayed inside control the majority of the fight. Landed nasty elbows. Just really beat up Derek Lewis. Now, one thing that I was surprised on is how Derek Lewis and I maybe I shouldn't have been this surprised. But the lack of mobility on the ground by Derek Lewis, the fact that he almost shows like it seems like he doesn't even have hips. He wasn't trying to escape. He wasn't trying to push on Danny Cormier's hips. He wasn't trying to reestablish guard. All things that he's going to need to do. In order to man get back to a a position where he can really get his strikes off. And the fact that, so long story short, get to the second round, what happens again? Derek Lewis, knowing he's behind big, obviously the first round is a 10-8 round. In fact, let me look at the judges. Yep. Two out of the three judges scored that first round to be a 10-8 round. I mean, that, 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 that's the story of the fight, man. So watching him, you know, struggle there, second round, he starts off again on the feet. Derek Lewis seems as if he is being more aggressive. He's throwing combinations. Daniel Cormier is 
sliding out of the way of shots, moving backwards. But if you actually paid attention, it seems like DC wanted that to happen. He was trying to make Derrick Lewis engage. And he did. In the moment that he did, single leg, dragged him down again, beat him up, got on top. And I say, he ended up taking the back when Derrick Lewis rolled over. Derrick Lewis gives up the back. Um, and Daniel Cormier sinks in the choke um, really quick in the second round. And actually, two minutes and 14 seconds of round number two. Congratulations, uh, Daniel Cormier. He went ahead and won again, man. He is the first man in history, in MMA history. The first man in MMA history to go ahead and actually defend two belts in two different weight classes. That's incredible, man. So a lot of people go ahead and want to give DC, you know, not as much props. They want to give him hate. Ah, this is, you know, this wasn't anybody any good. You should have fought Stipe. Stipe deserved the rematch. Yeah, maybe he did. But why would he fight somebody of Stipe's caliber after he already beat him, knocked him out in the first round? It's not like it was a close fight. It was a first round knockout. It's not even like it was a flash knockout. Daniel Cormier set him up for that. So anything else, it's like, okay, I understand he was the longest reigning UFC heavyweight champion ever. Does he deserve a rematch? Probably. But business-wise, why? Why would I give this man an opportunity on short notice? He's been training. Daniel Cormier's been recouping on a hand that was broken. So then you start going down the list. They give him this fight on short notice. He has an opportunity to headline Madison Square Garden. Man, I'm not mad at him. I take the path of least resistance also for a business and for legacy. Because when you look at it, we look at legacy. We look at what Derrick Lewis has done. If I look at the on paper, who Derrick Lewis is, Derrick Lewis needs one more finish to be have more knockouts than anybody in UFC history. Derrick Lewis is a man who is 10 and 1 before this fight was 10 and 1 in his last 11. Dude is a monster. So this is a legacy fight. This was done on purpose so that once he goes ahead and he, he, de he defeats this, he's going to go in January. It seems like he's going to go ahead and go against Brock Lesnar. That's what he called out. Seems like they will go against Brock. He's going to beat him. He'll end up defending his belt twice. He can go ahead and retire after that. Sail off into the sunset with all kinds of money. But man, something in the back of my head tells me that what's going to end up happening is Daniel Cormier is going to go ahead and take one more fight. It's probably going to go ahead and take place on that 4th of July show against John Jones for the heavyweight title. Now, if he goes ahead and defeats John Jones... For the heavyweight title, where he is arguably better. Now, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. I'm just speculating. 
But let's say John Jones goes ahead and wins this upcoming fight against Alexander Gustafson. They can easily fight. They can sell that fight. And it's where arguably Daniel Cormier is better. Now, it's for both of these guys' legacy. If Daniel Cormier wins, he's, you know, Vindify, whatever you call it. He's, he's you know, he, you get his props. He, you know, uh, he's finally beat John Jones. He can sail off into the sunset as the greatest MMA fighter of all time. And for John Jones, it's great for his legacy as well. I've beat this guy everywhere. I am the best fighter in the world ever. He can stand on it. So I think that'd be great. That is what I would like to see next. Um, but yeah, all in all, congratulations to the champ champ, Daniel Cormier. Um, all right, so check this out. Co-main event was between Chris Weidman, the former champion, versus Jacare Ronaldo Souza. This is a fight that a lot of people thought should have happened a long time ago. I personally think this should, fight should have happened right when Chris Weidman was a champion, or it should have been the fight as soon as he lost to um, Luke Rockhold. But after injuries from both men, this fight is finally happening. I thought it was going to be a good fight. I thought it'll end up being more of a stand-up fight. I did. Both of their grappling is so good. Jacare being an Abu Dhabi champion, Chris Weidman being an All-American wrestler. I assumed, I was like, I know these guys wrestling is so good. I didn't see the fight taking place there. I thought they'd end up just standing and banging. And to be honest, I, I thought that Chris Weidman's striking, his quickness and his crispness would be the difference in the fight. I thought he'd end up boxing Jacare's face off. In the beginning of the fight, that is what happened. First round kicks off. Both dudes throughout the entire time were super respectful to one another, man. It's great to see. So they're out there. They started off and he starts, Chris Weidman starts really peppering him with jabs. Peppering Jacare with jabs, long shots. And then he ended up rocking about halfway through the first round. He rocked Jacare. With a huge right hand, a looping right hand, went directly past the guard of Jacare Souza, clipped him directly on his jaw, and it, you can tell it visibly stumbled and it, he had Jacare hurt. Now, Jacare was able to go ahead and utilize his striking, utilize his movement to kind of get Chris Weidman up off him, but 100% first round went to Chris Weidman. Second round comes out, and I'm be honest with you, one of the best rounds I've seen by both guys. It was back and forth. Chris Weidman starts off again, trying to take the center of the cage. But Jacare, the difference in both men was the power. Chris Weidman had the combinations and the volume. Jacare had the power. And Jacare was fighting in spurts. So he started off... Looking like he's trying to reserve his energy, taking shots, taking shots. But throughout the round, all of a sudden, he started slipping more. He started catching those same shots that he was actually, he was actually catching Chris Weidman's timing. And then he started 
thumping them with big right hands and big left hooks. The second round, I'm going to be honest with you, was a toss-up. You could have easily given it to either fighter. Both of them had their moments. Third round starts and it's more the same. Jacare starts off aggressive. Chris Weidman fights back. Chris Weidman's getting aggressive. Jacare was countering. In the third round, man, a fight legitimately broke out. It was a brawl. They were going through throwing bombs. Both men rocking each other. Jacare's mouth was bleeding. His nose was bleeding. Chris Weidman, you can see his face is bruised up. He's banged up. Yo, it was crazy. But out of nowhere, end of the round, Jacare Souza throws the biggest right hand you ever see. Catches Chris Weidman directly on the forehead. As soon as he made contact, you saw it. Chris Weidman out like a light. Hits the ground. Jacare Souza, the gentleman that he was, refused to make any contact to hit Chris Weidman again. Now, Chris Weidman started moving a little bit. Dan Migliotta, a great referee that he is, didn't stop it. Jacare caught him one more time. Chris falls back down, fights over. Great win for Jacare Souza. Really quick, I just want to get to the numbers because this by far was the fight of the night. Check out the total strikes. Jacare ended up landing. And this is something I didn't even anticipate. He landed 100 out of 158 shots. Chris Weidman, like I said, he had more volume. He ended up uh, landing 76 out of 201. Yo, that's it. So again, we're looking at the percentages. It was volume versus power. Now, significant strikes. That's everything but a jab, essentially. Chris Weidman landed 68 out of 193. Jacques Ray landed 74 out of 132 for 56%. So again, that were mo- those were most of his shots. He was throwing bombs. And I'm going to be honest with you, Jacques Ray is somebody who is known to pretty much gas out he's known for to do it he starts off strong if he doesn't get you in the first you you might be able to ride him out but he didn't do that man i'm be honest with you i'm super skeptical of his team super skeptical um he ended up leaving what a brazilian top team in rio moving to the states and they said he originally he was moving to florida so I'm thinking, oh, he has to be going to American top team. Huge Brazilian presence down there. Or he's going to go in out there and train with um, with Henry uh, Hoost or whatever over there. So that's what I'm thinking he's going. No, he ended up going to some little podunk gym. And uh, no disrespect to those guys, but it is not a big gym. Some small gym in Orlando where he's the main attraction. And these guys are pretty much able to just strictly focus on him. And I'm be honest with you, man. Those guys are doing a great job. And his cardio looks better than ever. Physically, he looked back to the old Jacare. He was diesel. Dude was super jacked for that fight. And I'm be honest with you, I'm taking nothing away from Chris Weidman on this fight in particular. He looked great. He was fighting. And honestly, if it went to the judge's scorecard, if he got through the last two minutes or so... He probably would have won the fight. Probably. He would have been close. Honestly, I probably, you could have given it a draw. It could have been another draw. It was that type of fight. I mean, I just read you the numbers. 
It was that type of fight. It was back and forth. But I will say this about Chris Weidman. And uh, I actually tweeted this last night. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Same thing as uh, as I as I am on Insta- Instagram. It's uh, at the Surge Vicente. Actually, it's not the same. It's at the Surge Vicente on Twitter. But um, one thing that I did say yesterday was, "Yo, Chris Weidman's a front runner, man. Think about it. He's a front runner. All of his wins early in his career weren't against. They were against people who aren't high level. I'm not gonna say they weren't high level." But they're guys who weren't champions. Yes, or they were far out of their prime. Anderson Silva, I think that was the first time we saw Anderson Silva not be Anderson Silva. And again, that's after USADA. We don't know. Those supplements might not have been in him. He did. He has pissed hot twice since that time. So I don't know. But if we look at Chris Weidman's record, Chris Weidman has lost four out of his last five. He's lost four out of his last five fights in the UFC. And if you look at his record, each one of those guys that he's lost to are above him currently in the rankings. And those are championship caliber guys so he's never beat a hall of fame championship level contender in their prime in his career and here's the thing i say he's a front runner because of this he's a front runner because all of those fights he looked amazing in the first round luke rockhold he looked great gegard musasi he looked great but they were able to break him throughout the fight I think Chris Weidman needs a change of scenery with trades and whatnot happening in the UFC and all these other organizations now if there was going to be a trade I think he would be a perfect candidate and I think we should trade Chris Weidman straight up for Rafael Lovato Jr. Javier Lavado Jr. is a Bellator. Um, he's a welterweight right now. He might be fighting for a welterweight title soon. He is the greatest jujitsu practitioner out of uh, the United States. Dude is a beast. I think that he needs more recognition in being in the UFC. And honestly, I think Chris Weidman needs an opportunity to reinvent himself. He needs that. Look, look at Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader wasn't doing much in the UFC at that point in time. Now look at him. He's on the verge of being the champ champ. Light heavyweight, heavyweight champion for Bellator. So uh, for some people, I think he might, I don't want to say he's overstayed his welcome or anything like that, but look, man, it's one of those things that after a while, you just need to change the scenery. And I'm be honest with you. I think it is that time for Chris Weidman. Remember, 
The Fight Podcast is brought to you each and every week by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 20% off your first three months. Remember to follow The Fight Podcast on all social media platforms at The Fight Podcast and follow me at Serge Vicente. Support the show by checking me out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Subscribe, listen, rate share we are i we are on itunes and soundcloud check us out today all right moving right along man that co-main was great um all right now this was i think the fight that all of us wanted to talk about more than anything else um and, I, and i'll get into everybody else and i'll break the rest of the car down um the the but the matchups that i truly believe ended up mattering I'm definitely going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about Derek Brunson, the number six ranked middleweight in the world, was fighting against the number nine ranked Israel Stybender Adesanya. Now, yo, this, I've been talking highly about this dude for a long time. A long time. Not only is he my breakout star of the fight, he's my breakout fighter of the year. He has four wins this year in the UFC, more than anybody. And Steinbender did exactly what I thought he was going to do in this matchup, man, against Brunson. And that's no knock at all on Brunson. Dude is an absolute monster. He's knocked out great fighters. In my opinion, he beat Anderson Silva. He's knocked out dudes like Uriah Hall, who I think is amazing. So Derek Brunson's the real deal. But, man, I, I, we talked about levels. Daniel Cormier talks about levels. And there's something about Israel Adesanya's, his his striking, his patience, and more than anything else, it's the way that this dude learns. I've never seen an athlete, maybe other than GSP or something, John Jones, and I know he hates that comparison, but athletes like that that are able to adapt and grow fight to fight as big uh, TJ Dillashaw, TJ's another one, Demetrius Johnson. Think about the people that I've just named. I've named all-time greats. All-time greats, man. And in my opinion, he's in the same breath as those guys. Great movement, great patience, great power. Yo, this fight was over from the jump, the moment. So let me go ahead and get into the fight. First round starts off. Brunson... Literally from the beginning, tries to shoot in. And he wasn't even shooting in with setups. And not a single point in time did Derek Brunson try to set up any of his takedowns. Dude was just shooting in with his chin up. Which I don't understand. I, I don't know if he believed that he was that much more physically imposing than Adesanya or what. But soon he found out he was so mistaken. 
It was crazy to see. So Derek Brunson's shooting in time after time after time. Iggy's stuffing the takedowns, establishing the underhooks, getting himself off the cage, getting back to center of the cage. And once he was able to establish his stand-up and get some distance, that's when the fight completely changed. Halfway through the second round, not even, it had to be about three minutes and almost four minutes, or about, oh, it's about a minute left in the fight, in the, in the first round. Minute and a half left in the first round. Derek Brunson shoots in again. Chin up in the air, hands out, just forcing a takedown, not trying to set it up. This time, Stylebender was ready for it. Catches him with a beautiful knee. Beautiful knee. And this is something where I appreciate Stylebender. Most guys, when they have and they see someone hurt, they rush in aggressively. Almost out of control. Stylebender didn't do that. He just sat back and chilled, man. Kept on getting distance and landed. Didn't even swing hard. Light punches. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Touching him. He ended up dropping like Brunson so many times. He ended up getting high. Let me, let me check. I'm going to check because I want to be accurate with this for you guys. Dude. Israel Adesanya, check this out. He landed 15 out of 25 strikes, 60%. 13 for 23 of his significant strikes. Didn't get taken down. And in less than a round, in four minutes and 51 seconds of the very first round, Israel Adesanya finishes Derek Brunson. KOTKO. He knocked him down Three times in the last minute of that fight, man. Yo, coming out party, straight up. Straight coming out party. It was one of the most... Now, people talk about electrifying, right? Yo, that's what you want to see. It was skill. It was grace. It was accuracy. And then afterwards, this dude starts dancing. He's doing the, the Nigerian dance thing. Dude, he's killing it. I really want to learn how to do that. I saw Rihanna doing it. It was pretty dope. I really want to figure it out. So eventually I will. But dude is entertaining. He's doing what we want to see. People want to see knockouts. People want to see that fight IQ of somebody who can literally pick somebody apart and make it look easy. I thought it was the best, one of the best performances I've ever seen. They asked him, where would you rank this? He said, ah, B minus. Dude is a beast, man. He's an absolute savage. Israel Adesanya is the future. You're right. You have dudes out there. You have Dana White saying, calling him out, saying he's the future. So I'll get into, you know, Adesanya a little bit more later on the show. Obviously, we got to talk about winners and losers. We have to, you know, you know what I'm saying. He's right there. Um, all right. Other notable fights of the night. Lana Venata versus Matt Friola. 
Yo, this fight, until Chris Weidman and Jacare and that big comfort behind victory by Jacare, 100%, this was my fight of the night, man. These dudes were going, they were slinging, man. They were going out there, both men got hurt. Both men got dropped. Both men got cut. Both men almost got finished. And we were the ones who ended up winning after that, man, because they ended up fighting for a draw. A well-earned draw, man. There needs to be more draws in MMA and in boxing for that matter. Draws are not a bad thing. It just says, yo, these guys fought so well that there is no winner. We don't have to pick a winner today. They both won. That's how good this was today. Lana Venata and Matt uh, Fiori or Fiola. Salute to you gentlemen. That was a well-earned. I hope Dana White and them went ahead and gave them a little something under the table. Um, another great fight, another great performance. Lyman Good. Lyman Good is the former Bellator welterweight, 175 pound or 170 pound champion. He went out there and did work on short notice against the um the legend, the 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 vet more, not as much a legend. He's he's absolutely one of the first people that I ever started watching in MMA. But um Ben Saunders ended up getting beat up um really, really solid by Lyman Good. Lyman Good out of Tiger Shoguns out there in New York. My Puerto Rican brethren, he's out there, did work, man. So salute to him. And also, I have to go ahead and talk about Sajara Eubanks, who ended up winning unanimous decision victory despite missing weight by three pounds or so. So I guess salute to her. So, but check this out. With all these amazing fights, all these amazing fight cards this weekend, um, who really won the weekend, right? And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I want to know. I mean, who were the people that are, who are we going to be paying attention to? Who are we going to be talking about Monday morning? And who are we going to say is pretty much a scrub? I'll tell you right now, man. So first and foremost, the winners. I, I keep on talking about them, man. Israel Adesanya. Dude has tick right now. Everyone's talking about him. When Dana White says you're the future, and we all know the more tick you have, the more the boss supports you. The more the boss supports you, the more tick you have, the faster you get pretty much streamlined to that title shot. A lot of people thought he would have to fight Paulo Costa before. Yoel Romero. Somebody like that, we thought he was going to have to fight before that. But he has so much momentum. He has so much tick right now. They're going to give that dude a title shot. Mark my words. He's getting a title shot. <laughs> um, yo, Daniel Cormier. Man, well, what's not to say about Daniel Cormier? The champ champ. This dude is the GOAT, man. Um, and this weekend, he became only the second man ever to defend his belt in two separate weight classes ever. And at the same time, all he's doing at this is padding his legacy, man. People are mad and they're salty and about a whole bunch of other things. They're like, oh, you know, he should have fought Stipe and he should have fought. Man, like I talked about earlier, why? Why as a businessman would he fight Stipe right now? 
You got knocked out, man. But for all those DC haters, and when people want to talk, every time people say DC's the GOAT, man, but John Jones, oh, but he keep John Jones whooped his ass. Yo, who cares? This is what I care about. Check this out. Listen to this dude's beating his career. It's a legitimate who's who. Derek Lewis, Stipe, who's arguably, arguably the greatest heavyweight champ of all time. Anthony Johnson, in my opinion, the scariest dude ever in MMA. He beat him twice. Alexander Gustafson. Anderson Silva, who's widely considered the GOAT. Dan Henderson, Roy Nelson, Bigfoot Silva, Frank Mir, former UFC heavyweight champion. Josh Barnett, former Pride and UFC heavyweight champion. I said, I forgot to say, Dan Henderson, former Pride and Strike Force champion. Light heavyweight champion. Dude, he's beat everybody. So when we talk about Dan Henderson, man, we need to go ahead and put some respect on that dude's name. He's an absolute beast. And I'll be honest with you, man. Do I want to see him fight John Jones? Do I want to see him finish his career getting that W on his record? I do. But is it necessary? Nah. In my opinion, he's already done enough. And beating... Derek Lewis and beating the biggest pay-per-view star of all time in Brock Lesnar or the second biggest after Conor McGregor. I mean, what can you say, man? There's nothing we can take away ever from Daniel Cormier. All right. Who lost this weekend? The weekend's losers of the weekend. All right. So look, I only have one loser this weekend and it's Sajara Eubanks. Yo, she was so trash, even though she won her fight. Yo, she was talking. She had an opportunity. And yes, she felt she was slighted. Originally, she was given a title shot to headline this very card. That fight got taken away. And she was so vocal about how pissy she was about the situation, calling people out and honestly being unprofessional. We didn't take into account her record was only four wins and two losses for somebody demanding of so much. And she hasn't proven anything, only winning by moving, fighting on the ultimate fighter. And this is not, we're not even talking about ultimate fighter of old, right? I'm not talking about Stefan Bonner and we don't got Stefan Bonner and, uh, and Rashad Evans walking through that door. Josh Koshtek and, and Forrest Griffin are walking through that door, right? No, man, we're talking about episode or should I say season like 47. Don't nobody come out of the, uh, the ultimate fighter that's any good anymore. Let's be honest. There's a reason why the UFC started the contender, uh, the contender show. They know why contender series because those guys are actually good. So the fact that Sajara Eubanks came out of there was defending as much as she wanted to crying about everything she was crying about and then goes out here and doesn't do the one thing she was supposed to do. On your contract, it says on this date, I have to weigh this much. Yo, that's your job. You're supposed to be in shape. 
You're supposed to know how to fight. And you're supposed to make weight, man. And the fact that she missed weight by that much and she's missed weight. She only has, what, a handful of fights in her career? She's five and two now? And she's missed weight three of those? This was going to happen to Sajara Eubanks. I'm going to be honest with you. She's proven time and time again that she's not professional. She tried to laugh it off like it wasn't a big deal that she missed. And she was pretty much giving the UFC a headache. Mark my words. The moment she loses, she's cut. I hate to say it like that, man, but it's the reality of it. She has zero tick. Nobody cares about her. In fact, she's one of the most unpopular people in MMA right now because of everything she's been doing over the last month. So I wish her the best. I really do. But hey, it is what it is. All right. This is the Fight Podcast. And guys, that's my show for today. I will be back here again soon with this week's fight news prospect alert. Your turn to talk. And I have some amazing, amazing interviews. I cannot wait to let you guys see, man. I got some real special guests coming in this upcoming week. And it's going to be great, man. So listen up and please, please, please stay tuned. This is Serge Vicente. And thank you so much for joining me today on episode 50. Yo, I didn't even talk about that today, man. This is my 50th episode, 50 episodes of the Fight Podcast. For all of you that have listened and have been with me and supported me up to 50 episodes, thank you so much. I really love doing this. I'm going to continue doing this and I'm going to continue trying to get as many amazing interviews and conversations and do the best I can to give the best breakdowns and analysis that I can, all right? With still giving you the culture, still giving you all of me, all of Chicago, all of, you know, urban, urban culture all that i want to give that to you guys every day and um thank you for supporting and listening to the show so it's episode 50 of the fight podcast the fight podcast is brought to you each and every week by sage eats sage eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring sign up for sage eats at sage apply promo code fight for 20 percent off of your first your first three months remember to follow the fight podcast on all social media platforms Follow at the Fight Podcast and follow me at Serge Vicente on Twitter. It's at the Serge Vicente. And support the show by checking me out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Thank you all once again for listening. We will see you right here next time on the Fight Podcast. Peace out.